Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers by Conscious Discipline. I'm Latoria Marcellus. I'm a mom and an educator practicing conscious discipline. And I'm Amy Spidell, and I've been a conscious discipline instructor for mm, probably over 20, and that might be 20 plus. You know how you do that when you get older. <laughs> <laughs> when together, we're here to discuss trends and events in education and how conscious discipline impacts every aspect of what we do. For those of you new to conscious discipline, conscious discipline is an adult first transformational trauma-responsive approach to self-regulation, and it integrates social and emotional learning, equitable school culture, theory and application, research, and brain-based discipline practices. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. All that to say Conscious Discipline is a program that really will uh, help you focus on increasing your skill set. And perhaps uh, that is a challenge, but it also is the most amazing work that we can do on the planet because when we upgrade our tool set what we pass on to our children is the most significant tools that they could possibly have and certainly that goes right into what we're going to talk about today of how we really help our kids balance themselves on our skills that we're giving them we're all in this together and that's like mm -hmm. a real thing. I was sitting on the plane the other day and I looked at my Apple wallet and I saw that I had had like 28 boarding passes in there. And like I said earlier, I'm a mom, I have an eight year old at home and there is no way that I could do this work called conscious discipline and travel and meet new people if I didn't have a support system at home. Mm -hmm. So in that yeah. moment, I was so very grateful for my family, my friends, and everyone who stands in the gap when I'm away to help my husband in raising my eight-year-old, because it's not just the two of us, it's all of us doing it together. And it makes me think of that Afri African proverb that says, it takes a village to raise a child. And that is so true. So today we are bringing an award-winning principal to the show. Tanyelle L. Hannah has used her village to really transform lives in her whole community. It's not just the students, it's students, parents, teachers, everyone that has come into her space. It isn't every day that we have the opportunity to meet with one of our friends and we are so excited. So welcome to the show, Tanyelle. Welcome, Tanyelle. Thank y'all so much, my friends. I have missed y'all so much. Now I have to tell everyone, the first time that I saw Principal Hannah was at an Elevate conference. Um, I walked into her breakout mm -hmm. session and she was standing there with one of the teachers from her school, Educator Harris, and they were talking about some of the wonderful things that they were doing in Chicago. So I think a great way to start today is yeah. for you to jump right in and tell us about your school and where you're from. Excellent. So I am Tanya Elhanna. I get to um, lead, love, and learn over at Benjamin E. Mays Academy in Inglewood, Chicago. Uh, I was introduced to conscious discipline through one of my educators. And so um, here at my school, we use something called distributed leadership. And that's really where 
um, educators get an opportunity to thrive by leading up some part of the leadership opportunities in our school. And so she came in one day and said, I would like to try conscious discipline. Can I do that? And I said, well, why not? (laughs) You know, because it was just her one class. Right. And I feel like when people bring something to you, they have a passion in it. Um, I'm no dream killer. So I wanted to see what Mm -hmm. what this conscious discipline was all about because I didn't know enough about it. What I did see, though, is a transformation in her as a teacher, and I saw a transformation in the scholars. And when I say that, not just necessarily their behavior, but really how they interacted with one another, how they talk to one another, how they play with one another. And one of the things that you'll know as an administrator um, and a former dean myself is that how children treat each other on the play yard Mm -hmm. is typically how they'll treat each other in the classroom. And so it directly affects their academics, you know. And so we were talking about how we were using conscious discipline to really impact um, our educational or academic gains here at our school. And so when I got here, um, I think this is starting my fourth year, but when I first got here, our data uh, had a lot of room for growth. We'll call it that, a lot of room for growth. And um, that next year and the year after that, we ended the year at number one in attendance. And attendance is a really huge thing, especially during the pandemic, right? Um, We ended number one in on track. Wait, wait, wait. During the pandemic? (laughs) Wow. During the pandemic. Wonderful. During the pandemic. and, you know, and I, I'll, I'll get back to it. So we, we were number one in on track and that's for grades and attendance. That's also built on relationships. So one of the things that we did uh, was loop our scholars because through conscious discipline, we learned about the importance of relationships. Right. And so that that's why we didn't lose any scholars or we knew where children were during the pandemic because we had already had mm. them the year previous, the previous year. So. Um, It really created a space of, you know, just classroom family and they they had really deep relationships with one another. And so they were able able to navigate that space together. Wow, that is amazing. Thank you. One of the things that uh, that I find fascinating uh, when you speak about your school and especially about your scholars. And I think in conscious discipline, we do uh, really highlight the language that we use, the words that we choose, because they make a difference. Mm-hmm. And so it, it isn't everyone that calls uh, those children in their care scholars. Mm-hmm. What, what, uh, what is your uh, mm-hmm. kind of the background uh, story to that? So for me, um, using, I have intentional language around a lot of things, but specifically with scholars, because I want them to hear what we want them Mm. to be. And so I called them a scholar because they are a scholar because I want them to be a scholar. I want them to behave like a scholar. I want them to feel in their spirit that they are indeed a scholar. But going back to what you said in terms of um, intentional language, I'm even intentional about the village around us. And so I'll use words like villager instead of mom or dad because in the community that I serve, it may not be a mom or a dad that is bringing a child to school, picking a child up from school mm-hmm. for various reasons. And you don't want to 
create, you know, any um, trauma, number one, but also you want to be inclusive, number two. And so, you know, I know everybody was celebrating Grandparents Day just a few days ago, but we celebrated Village Elder Day. And so my grandmother, when I was growing up, lived in Mississippi. So I wouldn't have had a grandmother to bring to Grandparents Day, you know, here at school. But whatever elder steps into that space for that child was more than welcome. And we had a great time. I I elevate that because I want to model for them what I want them to be for themselves. the whole thing of what you focus on, you get more of, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, you talked about the attendance, building the relationships, Mm -hmm. having the villagers Mm -hmm. be a part of what it is you're doing at your school. And all of that seemed to combine in like the perfect situation because you all won an award, right? Yeah, I I actually, I did win one of the um, Game Changer Awards. And so Chicago Public Schools has this award that um, won principal per network. And so I'm in network 11. And at the time there were about 30 schools. And so I won that year. And so um, that was, that, and it's a distinguished principal mm-hmm. award, by the way. And so I was really excited to win that award just because I know how much, you know, really blood, sweat and tears we put into trying mm-hmm. to change the trajectory of my scholars and where my school was going and my educators and really creating a village around us. And I was able to win that award through through my distributed leadership, because there's no way that I could, or even with the assistance of my assistant principal, shoulder the work that was required these past few years. Because again, you have to remember, not only were we trying to turn around a school, but we were trying mm-hmm. to turn around a school during um, pandemic mm-hmm. years. Pandemic years, uh, years where racial injustice has been elevated, you know, um, and the community that I serve in, everything is heightened, you know? Um, So the disparities are heightened. Unemployment was heightened. Uh, Health um, crises were heightened. Mental mental illness concerns were heightened. Um, You know, you go into, when they had the race riots, they rebuilt some neighborhoods, but not all the things in this neighborhood was rebuilt right away. And so that's a constant reminder to my babies of what they've had to endure. And you don't realize what that does to the psyche of my scholars, but not only my scholars, their families, right? And so we had to be really intentional around the social and emotional work uh, just so that we could teach and learn. Because I can't, I can't teach children who are not well, and I can't ask my educators to teach if they aren't well. So I try to make sure my educators are well, and I also try to make sure that my scholars are well. So, Tanya, when I hear you um, say all that you are up against, it feels like a mountain to climb. And I've been in this for many, many years, and I think so many people have that sense of it's it's like, where do you even start? Like, how do you um, get the energy to say, we're going to climb this mountain and we're going to take it one step at a time? Because I'm sure along the way, you had those moments where it felt like there was just a rock slide in front of you uh, and storms ahead Mm -hmm. and all of that. So what, when you think about what you needed to grab a hold of to keep your focus, keep your mission, like what, sustained you through 
those moments of perhaps doubt or just frustration or any, I don't know what it would have been for you, but I'm guessing yeah. there was something. <laughs> well, a few things. And, and I want to, I guess, speak to a few parts of that. So I think that I want to be also transparent in that. I think that because of the way that I speak about my school, folks may come in and think that we are living in this educational paradise in here and all is well and <laughs> all the children are well behaved and we are not experiencing um, concerns uh, both on the academic side and the social emotional side. And that's not exactly true. Um, but I will say this, there's joy in the journey. Hmm. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is um, our heart space is filled with every small thing that we do. We celebrate every small win that we have. It might seem like a mountain, but with every step that we take, we're in a space of celebration, right? And so you know how you have the celebration wall in the classroom? We have a cel- <laughs> we, we celebrate everything in this school, and it's because that gives us the fuel that we need to, to get the next win, you know? And so our theme this year is we will. We will what? Whatever it is, whatever we're up against, it will happen, and I believe that, right? Um, but also, I'm fueled in this work because I focus on my why. Mm. Part of my why is that um, my grandmother worked for $5 a day so that my mother could go to school in a neighborhood um, that was outside of the community that she lived in. And so part of the work that I want to do and that my mother did as a principal herself was to create um, neighborhood schools Mm. in community like ours that are high quality, um, high quality educational environments where the expectations are high because it is attainable for our scholars. I know that the work that we're doing is touching generations of children and families that I will never actually get to see, but I'm fueled in knowing that we're putting things into their toolkit that will be for their children and their children's children. So do I get tired? Absolutely. Do I want to give up sometimes? Probably. Um, But I never do because I really focus on every little step in the journey. And then even when that becomes a little bit too much for me, I focus on my why. Wow. With the distributed leadership model that you talked about, Mm -hmm. what is it exactly? Is it something that you're using so that you'll be able to help other people join you, join in with you when it comes to your why? How does that work? Well, Everybody has their own why. You know, you have to tap into like, what makes you want to do this work? Why are you on this mission? Because when you think about educating scholars and the the way that we have to educate scholars in our community, you can't just be out here just because. You have to have a reason and rationale that resonates with your heart space Mm -hmm. because we're doing heart work. Mm -hmm. And so... With distributed leadership, for me, I'm giving educators in my building the opportunity to lead in a space where they thrive or they have high interest. I can teach you pedagogy, but I can't teach you passion. And so even if they have passion for a thing, I can teach them how to lead in that area because they've already had the passion for it. So while Educator Harrison, she's the one who brought conscious discipline to us, she had never led in my building under my leadership before, but she had a passion for conscious discipline. 
So we can work on the leadership portion. I can teach you how to lead, but I can't give you a passion for a thing. And so what when I have this distributed leadership model, it means that we're able to get better faster because we're able to accomplish more. We're a team. You know what I'm saying? We're better together. We're in it to win it. Uh, we have to do it as a complete village. Otherwise, it would take forever. And we don't have forever because um, I'm a big data person. But those percentages and those numbers are my babies. Those are my scholars. Those are my children. And so I'm responsible for making sure that I'm giving them everything that they need right away. I can't delay. And so the distributed leadership model helps me to do that um, in a in a pretty uh, fast and quick manner. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we, so everybody so it's all the work is not on one or two people. Mm-hmm. We're all we're all helping out. And it doesn't have to just be my lead teachers. I have some supported educators that lead work, too. And it's because they have the passion, they have the will and they also have the skill. So I let everybody get get in where they fit in and where they feel best. You know, what really stood out to me in that is it's I think we don't even consciously think about the fact that when we have a why we want everybody else to have the same why. Uh, and when you do that, then everybody has to get on your page instead of this book that you form when everybody has a page. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so much more mm-hmm. rich and complex. And I just have never thought of that, Danielle, uh, that really <laughs> yeah. helping. And, I, you know, although we always help people kind of tap into their own why, um, I've never really put together how strong that makes the collective uh, I just, wow, I just think that's really, really cool that you've established that. So, you know, Amy, I take my um, my staff to the lake at the beginning of every school year. We go there as our first day of professional learning. And that's one of the questions that we have because I want folks to ground themselves in their own yeah. why, you know? And I think that when when you start the work knowing why you're doing what you're doing, the rest of it will fall in place. How do you think that you, as well as uh, your staff, sustain that? It, um, the other experience that I've walked with teachers um, around is that we're so easily distracted from the meat of what we do, and we get distracted by the minutia and the demands. So what you do at the beginning, that's amazing. Um, is there a way that you kind of keep that thread going? Yeah, I have a leadership team. We're a team. I got a whole team. And they they kind of help keep all of us grounded. You know what I'm saying? Because like you said, it's very easy to get off track. But we also have something called a continuous improvement work plan. And so we try to make sure that we ground all of our work and what we said that we wanted to accomplish. We have um, a guide for our professional learning for the entire year. So I know for, for a person like me and a learn and my learning style, you can dump a lot of stuff on me at the beginning of the year. And as soon as you say it, it's going to go head on about its business because I cannot process all of those things at one time. 
But what we do is, as a team, we decide, here are some buckets of work that we're going to continue to work on throughout the entire school year. And so while things happen, you know, you want to get on this thing, then you get on that thing, then you get on another thing. And what you realize is, it's like, it's kind of like when your grandmother's cooking Thanksgiving dinner, she's tasted a little bit Mm -hmm. of this and tasted a little bit of that. And then when it's time for the meal, She's already Mm -hmm. full and she hasn't had anything of substance. And so we just try to make sure that we are staying um, in alignment to the substance. Um, And we give a little bit at the beginning of the school year. We let everybody know, here's a taste of what we're going to be doing throughout the school year. But then we continue to come back to those same things. And so it's kind of like the song on the radio that's in heavy rotation. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I'm saying? After a while, everybody just kind of gets on board, you know, because you keep hearing it over and over. And we add a little piece and add another little piece and add another little piece, but still grounding it in that same work. When you think about other administrators that are out there and they're in a similar situation mm-hmm. as you, where Mm-hmm. They might not be in a wealthy district. They might not have all the materials that they need. Um, they don't. They can't afford to go to fancy conferences and do things. What would you tell mm-hmm. them to do to get started with building those relationships that you talked about? Or even how do they get started with that, finding their actual passions to be able to do this work called conscious discipline, what would you tell them? So, you know, when we started conscious discipline, um, we, we I hadn't been to a conference yet, mm-hmm. as a matter of fact. Um, I didn't know much about it. What we did was we started with a book study. And so, and I was a participant, even as the principal, mm-hmm. I was a participant in the book study. Um, and so we all took a chapter and we read the book together and, um, it was almost, you know, kind of like a, a book club, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a book study for work, but it, it felt like a book club because it was a place where folks could come be transparent. Uh, we read the chapter together, but whomever's turn it was. So today it may be Principal Hannah's turn. The next time it's Educator Harris's turn. The next time it's another educator's turn. So everybody got a chapter and it was your responsibility to lead the conversation, but not to dominate mm-hmm. it. Right. And so that's how we began conscious discipline. We began as a book study. And in that book study, we talked about what does this look like in your classroom? How does this show up in your classroom? And not only that, we had an opportunity because I might read one thing. Amy, you read the same thing. Latoria, you read it. And we all see it three very different ways. It gave us an opportunity to see and hear other people's um, perspective on how they might uh, conquer, uh, conquer encouragement, how they might conquer composure, how they might, you know, we, we, I've, I've gone through all the states and now I'm at, you know, consequences. And what does that look like at the eighth grade level, at the primary level? And so we had somebody at every grade level, but it was just an opportunity for folks to come. And it was, we called it the coalition of the willing because I didn't push it on folks. I gave people the opportunity to come. And so then the next year, I didn't have a lot of pushback because folks got an opportunity to see and have authentic buy-in because they saw what it did in their 
counterparts' classrooms. They saw what it did in their colleagues' classrooms rather than me just saying, here's a new Mm -hmm. thing that we're going to do again. (laughs) <laughs> and, and and I, I you know, I, I've been doing this work for, you know, about 16 years, 17 years, and you see things come and go and you don't know if it's really going to work or not. And you, you know, the principal's all excited and then you roll your eyes because you're like, oh, here's another thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want that because I felt like this was so, it was too precious of a gift for me to have them to kind of like glaze over. And when people don't buy into this work called conscious discipline because it it requires a lot of us as educators because it's an adult first Mm -hmm. model, you know? And so we have to be mindful of who we are before we can even have these kinds of conversations with our scholars. And it, it, I think when I first, uh, Roz was our, Roslyn was our first instructor. And when I left, I really had to sit in the car for about 30 <laughs> minutes because I I was really confronted with some things that I had not personally dealt with as an adult mm-hmm. and it affected how I engage with my staff and how I engage with my babies. Yeah, I think that's the big shock when you when you first hear it is the oh wow. <laughs> this is all about me. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's all about it's all about me. But but I think that anybody can get started because you don't have to have a whole lot of money to start mm-hmm. a book study. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to have a whole lot of money to collaborate. You don't have to have a whole lot of money to give your perspective. Um, when you get the money, I do encourage you to go because you'll have an opportunity to hear from the lens of an expert and they will share their expertise. But certainly just to get the work started, I think that you don't have to have a whole lot of money just to to read and share. And speaking of expertise, you are now a certified instructor with conscious discipline, what? right? Woo, woo, woo. Yeah. Yep. It's, a- it's, it's, it's such an honor to be amongst the greats because y'all are for real. <laughs> That we we all traveling on the journey too. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's the you know it's not the I read the book without ever doing the right. work, and now I'm going to give you the information. Mm-hmm. It's not informational. It's, it's not. experiential, Mm-mm. and because you've walked mm-hmm. the walk, it makes uh, it allows other people to see where the path really is. Uh, and when we all yeah. just like you were talking about how everybody has their own why everybody has their own story. And so when we blend mm-hmm. those stories yeah. together, it is so rich yeah. of a, of a transformational yeah. change. And and I really try to, when, when I go and I have an opportunity to speak to folks, um, I do want to share with them because again, like I said, there's joy in the journey, but um, I also want to share like, what does this actually look like in mm-hmm. a school building? How did I begin this work? Um, what's small, you know, cause I, I feel like, you can be doing conscious discipline for years and do something new every year, right? And so I think that there's so much that sometimes it becomes overwhelming for a staff or a leader to really know, how can I get this started at my building? And so when I have conversations as an administrator or as um, a certified instructor, I really want to give like some concrete 
hey, this is what we did for daily schedules. This is what we did for our safe space. This is what Brain Smart Start looks like at our building. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's helpful to know that you don't have to do everything. Let's pick a few things that we're going to do with Fidelity. Let's build some relationships and we can continue to work mm-hmm. throughout the years on putting other portions and parts into the building. Um, so that it, it's an authentic buy-in and not only is it an authentic buy-in, but it actually begins to work and you can begin to see the change and transformation and not just our little ones, but also in the in our work family as well. You mentioned your work family and I was just wondering, mm-hmm. do you have any um, any like examples or stories that you could share with that change that you saw from before conscious discipline to after all the work that you all have been doing where you all are now? Oh my goodness. So for one thing, we just, um, one of the things that we're implementing now um, in every classroom is that safe space. Mm -hmm. And so I wanna make sure that every classroom in our building has a safe space. And I was just talking with my pre-K teacher yesterday, and she she was able to go to the training over the summer. And she talks about, and we're just in week four here in Chicago, but she talks about what a transformation she sees from last year's scholars and this year's scholars now that she's implementing it um, with a greater fidelity and just mm-hmm. heavily in the classroom. And we're really talking about scholars that are three and four years old, wow. right? Um, and then I think about, my scholars who are in middle school, because in Chicago, my elementary school runs from pre-K to eighth grade. And so I think about a little girl and she kind of, they got into a verbal disagreement. She got into this verbal disagreement, you know, a middle school tiff, Mm -hmm. you know, um, in the lunchroom. And I walked her out of the lunchroom. I remain calm. I'm in my executive state, but clearly she's very like emotional, almost in her survival state. And I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to regulate her by keeping myself regulated for sure. But she grabbed my hand. She turned towards me. She looked me in the eyes. And then we begin this. She she initiates this breath work that we're about to start. Mm. And so when I think about being a young lady at 13 or 14 years old, like I just didn't have the capacity. I didn't have the toolkit Mm -hmm. to know that I am not at my best self. In order for me to have a conversation with you, I need to stop. I need to do some breath work and then we can have a conversation. I never knew that at 12 and 13. So I feel like my children are leaps and bounds beyond where I was as, you know, as a scholar their age. Um, But also when I think about myself and my own leadership, and so I think I shared this story before, um, I was walking up the stairs one day and uh, I heard some, some young men, they were supposed to be in mentoring. And I knew that they weren't in the mentoring because (laughs) I could hear them outside of the outside in the hall. And so there were two young men and one was indeed not doing what he was supposed to do, but there was another young man. um, And let me give the caveat that I was having a bad day. Mm. So my mind was already, I'm having this self-talk as I'm walking up the stairs. If I see these children in the hallway, I'm going to give it time. I'm going (laughs) to, you know, I'm fussing before I even see the children. Right. And so, I, I point to him and I'm I'm in my emotional state because I'm experiencing some, some experiencing some emotions that have absolutely nothing mm-hmm, to do right. with him. 
right? And so I point to him and I tell him, and you go down to the office. I never had a conversation with him. I never asked him a question. And so he walked off, but he punched something Mm -hmm. on the way. So he's clearly in his survival state at this point, right? He goes into a classroom. When he goes into his survival state, it immediately pops me back to my executive state. I say, whoa, we got a problem here, right? But he goes into this room and we sit face to face, he and I, and he sobs on my shoulder. So now he's moving into this emotional state, right? And um, I know that we often talk about, you know, getting ourselves back on track. Mm-hmm. Knowing that we're not going to always be in this executive state, right. right? So I knew that I was in this emotional state, but I, I had to have the wherewithal to get myself back to this emotional state so that I could regulate this scholar back to his executive state, right? And so as he sits there and he sobs, then we're a, and and we, I go through all the noticing, I go through, you know, all of the... Um, the, the necessary steps to get him back to this state. And what I find out is that this scholar was triggered by something that mm-hmm. happened in the mentoring. And so he actually did what I would have told him to do, which was excuse yourself. Mm-hmm. But because I didn't have the conversation with him, I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. And so as, as a mother, as somebody in that baby's village, as the principal of this building, I had to sit with, I did not handle him correctly that day. Wow. Um, but I also, and I had to apologize to him. That's big. And I had to show That's up. So big. I had to show up as a real person and apologize and say, you know, I did not handle that situation correctly. I apologize to him. Um, we were able to kind of just talk through some things. But part of doing this conscious discipline work was, really allowing myself to show up as my authentic self to know that I'm going to make mistakes, to know that I'm going to fall short, to know that it's okay to give myself the grace to get back on track. I got to get back on track. Right. Um, and, and, and we allow that same thing for our scholars. And that is what builds the relationship, um, allowing scholars to see me as a real person. Mm. Um, you know, I kind of, I, I always liken it to the first time you see your teacher in the grocery yeah. store and you're like surprised mm-hmm. that they, you know, drink milk, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? And so, um, it's just, it's about making that connection. Mm-hmm. It's really about making the connection, allowing them to see who you are as a real person. And then, um, Connecting with them as a real person. They're a, they're a young person. They're a little person, but they're actually a person with real feelings, real emotions. And as we're teaching our scholars to manage their emotions, we're also teaching ourselves because what I teach you, I strengthen in me. And I love how you, uh, when you mentioned about being a role model, that we sometimes think that role models um, only give the very best of who they are as, a, as that model. And it's so important. And I think, you know, again, all of us have had that idea of, I only want you to see the best in me. It's hard when you see uh, things that are challenging or whatever, but what a role model you were in the, the grace, the compassion and the willingness to be vulnerable to your own misstep because he's going to have missteps. And so how cool that at such Mm -hmm. a young age, when you said that about how that the gal knew to breathe, equally so important yeah. to know how to get back mm-hmm. on track. 
And what a beautiful yeah. representation of that in his life at such a vulnerable time. Wow. Just love that. Yeah. Story. And I think when I when I talked earlier about that I'm affecting children, um, well, my team actually, all the educators here are giving our scholars something that we're, we're affecting kids that we won't know generations that we'll never actually mm. get to see. So that's something that he has in his toolkit, mm-hmm. that emotional right. regulation that he'll be able to teach his children and his children will be able to teach their children. And so for me, that, that part of the work is the most important part of the work. And Danielle, what grade is, what grade was he? He was eighth grade. So here, and so he yeah. was, it's big me. <laughs> So many times, and Latoria, I know you have heard this as well. Um, it's just not for our older kids, and when they say mm-hmm. not for our older kids, it usually is like third grade. <laughs> it's like right, mm-hmm. and it's so interesting that not only was it for him, but he had an opportunity mm-hmm. to show the vulnerability that sometimes we indicate to them is no longer a possibility. You know, like they don't have, they're not, you know, they're not given those opportunities to have those big emotional moments. And when you provide that, he's able to work through Mm -hmm. something that never would have been possible. And he might've had to shove that down for a very long time. So, oh, just, wow. What a, what just, what a story for people to know that you're doing this all the way to eighth grade. Yes. (laughs) Well, well, here's here's the thing. Conscious discipline is for everybody yep. because really it's for it's for mm-hmm. adults. You know what I'm saying? Yep. As well, when we think about learning to manage our emotions uh, and I believe the first time I, I went to Orlando, one of the things that I said, and this is still true today, conscious discipline is the therapy that I never had that my scholars won't need. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful. It's a right. therapy that, that I never had that my scholars won't need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so when I when I think and I go through the book and I'm reading the book and, and we're talking about choices in assertive voice, think about as, as mm-hmm. all of us are women here, how often we are passive aggressive. Or how often we are asking things in a question that's really a command. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like some of these things are just good for people, mm-hmm. not for children, but yeah, for exactly, people in general. Exactly. So we're all learning together. We're all learning and growing together oh, for I sure. Love that. It also is one of those indicators of, you know, if we don't dismantle them in the first place, maybe we won't have to right. spend so much time trying to put them back together. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. You are really connected with your villagers and it's making me wonder like what changes have you seen in the community as a whole? Like Mm -hmm. how is conscious discipline in your work connecting with what happens to the scholars when they're not at May's Academy? So one of the things that we are still doing, because we started this work during the pandemic where we couldn't really bring folks into the building in the way that we really wanted to. Um, So that's something that we are starting this year that we're moving forward with this year. But also um, one of the indirect ways that I've seen a change is in our uh, communication and relationships with our villagers, you know? And so we I, we have something here called a village communication log. And so we are building, that's one of the ways that we're building relationship with our parents. We're not just calling when something goes wrong. We're calling just to check in, to check up, to tell good things. When was the last time somebody told you something encouraging? Mm. 
that's part of building the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so when we do call and we need support for a scholar, the family knows that we're calling in love, we're calling in concern, we're calling because we're all in this together. We're calling because, you know, we're trying to unify and create community, you know what I'm saying, around their baby. And so it's a more easeful situation. It's not best. It's better. Mm. I would say that it is better, but we are better together and we're, we're continuing to strive towards that work. Brilliant. And, you know, um, so we have something here in Chicago called the five essentials, mm. right? And so uh, years ago, before I got here, our five essentials was red. And so the University of Chicago puts out, you know, um, a survey to, you know, with all of these things that they say um, will make a school improve, right? And so one of those things is parental involvement, mm-hmm. you know, or how how our families engage and interact with our educators. And it also talks about how our educators engage and interact with our mm-hmm. scholars. And so, um, and, and everybody gets a voice in that, except me, really. But <laughs> the scholars get a voice, the parents get a voice, the educators get a voice. And, you know, since we began this work a few years ago, we've been green. And so that's a huge jump from being red wow. to being green. And we, we're continuing on with that work. Again, it's not best, but it certainly is better. Wow, that's cool. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation mm-hmm. today, and I could just keep going on and on and on, but oh, I, um, so I have to make sure that I take an opportunity to say this to you, Principal um, Hannah. I know that you are a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, <laughs> and, and Delta's believe in sisterhood scholarship, Mm -hmm. service, and social action. And my soror, you are doing that Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And I know that I'm not there in Chicago, but as part of the sisterhood um, of Delta (laughs) and, you know, and of this family of conscious discipline, Mm -hmm. I can just say it just warms my heart to hear your story to hear how you are making it okay for children to take a break from grownups and and get some breaths in. (laughs) You are doing, you are doing the work Mm -hmm. and it's just beautiful to see in all its beauty and imperfections, all of it. Principal Hannah, it is wonderful work that I am so glad that we all had the privilege of being able to hear today. So thank you for, for coming to talk to us. Yeah. Uh, y'all probably didn't know this, but I am a real big cry baby. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And, and thank you all for this opportunity to learn and grow together. You know, um, this conscious discipline family has really wrapped around me and allowed me to show up, you know, just as myself. And that's important. For me to be able to share what I do, the way I do it, how I like to show up. And so um, allowing me to be my authentic self is such a sweet gift for me to have. Thank you guys so thank much. Thank you. Yeah. And you definitely Let's were chosen yeah, for this work. You. So thank you again. Thank and you. we can't wait till we have the opportunity mm. to sit down with you again. Y'all are so sweet and so special to me. Thank you.
Wow. Today, the thing that really stuck out to me was that story that Tanyelle shared about the student she saw in the hallway and, you know, just how she had to get herself together so that she could actually right. help him in the moment. And and that's big for me because a lot of times, you know, we are so busy trying to get to the next place that we're going. It's like, why aren't you? Where are you supposed to be? What are you supposed mm-hmm. to be doing? And instead of just taking those breaths and being like, hmm, something else might be going on here. Just being a little bit curious about some things can really lead us down a whole different path. Man, I agree. And you know, when we talk about that very uh, piece of what conscious discipline is all about, that adult first transformation, Mm -hmm. it does not happen if we don't lead the way. So kids Mm -hmm. can't find the path that we're not willing to be on. And it was, and it, you know, it's so cool that she could recognize in that moment that she had to make the turn for him to be able to find his balance. It's just, mm-hmm. it, it feels magical, but when you really think about how we're always giving kids uh, an opportunity to learn how to interact with others based on how we interact with them, uh, mm. kids get snarky when we're snarky, they get more thoughtful when we're thoughtful. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's really funny sometimes that we think, oh, um, you know, they're, they're, they're acting irritating when I've been irritating. And we're like almost shocked when it's like, oh, my gosh, right. they were so thoughtful. And right, it's all right. about the energy that we send out first. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought that was an amazing moment for all of us mm-hmm. to take in. Even in that apology, the fact that she would apologize to a scholar Oh, so many times yeah. it's like, you know, I'm the adult and I really messed that up, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to tell anybody, you know, <laughs> and just to see it be done a different way was it was amazing to me that you have this principal who's won awards, who is OK or, or, or willing to be able to say, I should have done this another way. So let's yeah. rewind this part. It was really, really, really powerful for me. To hear that. Right, right. And one of the things that I'm really going to take home and I'm going to start doing it, I'm going to share with everybody that I talk to, is the way that she uses the word villagers. Instead of saying your mom and your dad or, you know, or grandma, you might not have a grandma, you might not have your mom and dad, but right. when you say villagers, it is so inclusive. And it just goes back to that point of we're all in this together. You don't have to be a mom. You don't have to be a dad. You don't have to be Nana in order to be a part of this village. You just got to show up and be ready, yeah. you know, to help in this work in order to be included. I, I really, that is what things I carry with me. The, the idea of how our words translate into deeper meaning for our kids, we sometimes forget that they're picking up the nuance of what we're saying, not just the word mm. that we use. And that I think you're so right, Latoria, that using the word village really pulls in a bigger community of people. And for some of our kids, their village is also incorporated in their school. So it's Right. You know, it's 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 a wraparound. And I love how she refers to them as scholars, too, because when you're when you're building a, a, a belief system for someone, when you're bringing meaning to what they do every day, being a scholar says this is about your your adventure in learning, not just what mm-hmm. I expect you to be. 
So it's, yeah, I thought it was a really deep word, you know, that we use at the, maybe at the highest levels of education. Yes. But so much is important about what you learn in those younger years. Every episode, we like to take the time to answer a question about conscious discipline. And today's question is coming from Russell from Tampa, Florida. And Russell wrote, how do I get more family participation and trust when it comes to my use of conscious discipline in the classroom? That is a loaded question, Russell. And so when we think about how families uh, approach anything that we do from a behavioral point of view in the classroom, uh, it, the reason that it's so loaded is if we do things differently, it can feel like a judgment. And we're, we're a little bit hardwired to think that if you're handling my child differently than I would handle that circumstance, then what are you telling me, that I'm doing it wrong? And one of the things that I think is revolutionary about conscious discipline is that it's not anything that has been around long enough for any of us to be so great at it. And so it, it is about readjusting ourselves to a different way to respond based on what we know about brain research. So when parents know that this isn't just the, that's not how I raise my kids, and so you must be doing it wrong, it's the, now that we have a little clearer view of how the brain interacts with the information that we give it, we have a better sense of the language and the practices that we can use to help our kids. So Russell, the two things that I would really encourage you to do is one, hand the tools over in very small doses. Like what we found is it really helps when we just take those three breaths and we breathe. And so, um, you know, you might want to ask your, you know, you could send home just a little note and say, ask your kids what we do when it gets a little bit frustrating in our class and they'll be able to share some of their knowledge about how they're learning to manage themselves uh, for you and for your home. So it's more about I'm finding out what my kids are doing from my kids. And I'm also learning it as a, if this is helping me out in school, maybe it could help us out as a family. So that it's not, uh, it's not actually pointed at the parent as much as it is coming through the child as their skill set. I'm not sure of the age that you work with, but I'll tell you, sending home uh, even snippets of the of the Schubert books. And, you know, we talk about sending home a flat Schubert, like flat Stanley, uh, and just having them share a little bit of the stories that they're learning. So anything that a child learns in their classroom, that's something that a parent can ingest a lot better than you need to come to a parent class and you need to find out what we're doing. Not that that can't happen. It's just easier when it comes through the lens of how that's benefiting my child rather than how I should do it differently. And Latoria, what's your take on that? Does that make sense to you? And what would you add? Um, I definitely would add that it's better than, for me, it would be better than asking me to come to the spaghetti dinner and handing me a worksheet. So many times <laughs> as a parent, I'm like done by five o'clock. So the thought mm -hmm. of having to go and spend an hour and a half listening to someone lecture with a PowerPoint, oh, that's too much. But when, you know, when Boo comes home and he wants to tell me something that he learned in school, I am much more willing to listen to what's going on with him 
than I am to come back um, for an hour and a half after I've already been to work. So for me, that would be great. Um, and I think it's something easy for parents, for teachers to do for parents to get them involved. I'm glad you filled, fielded that question. I'm sure a lot of teachers are probably wondering, you know, what can we do to get um, parents involved, just like Russell was. So thank you for that, Amy. That was really helpful. When we go back to what Tanyelle said, too, it's we want to invite the village and we need the village. Right. Just what you said, Latoya, at the right. very beginning. If you didn't have a village, you couldn't do the work you do. But right. it's respecting the village that makes mm -hmm. that difference. If you want families to participate and trust what you're changing in the classroom, then it's important that they feel that they belong in that participation mm -hmm. and that they are trustworthy. So uh, just, you know, that idea of, um, here's just a couple things we found to work well for us. And perhaps that's something that your child can share with you. And, and it's, it's a, it can feel like a slow process, but once it gets mm -hmm. rolling, it's like, what more do you have? What more do you have? What more do you have? And I'm sure that you've had those experiences too, Latoria, where somebody's like, give me more, give me more, give me more. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, I just think it's, it, trust the process of when you have something meaningful for other people, you don't have to shove it down their throat. You just right. have to keep letting them uh, experience it in small doses. And it's not coming to them with that spirit of the way you've been doing everything is wrong. It's yes. just, I have some information to share with you. You know, try it. Mm -hmm. See how it feels. Take, yeah. the, take the pieces that work for you and your family. And I'm not here to judge you about it. I'm just here to help you. It's a, it's a totally different feel when you come at it that way. Yeah. And that's a great way to get started with your families. And for those of you who might be thinking of a great way to get started with your staff or with your coworkers, one of the things that you can take away from today's um, podcast is doing exactly what Principal Hannah did. She did not start with sending everyone to um, big events. They started with a book study. So just remember that if you want to learn more, you want to share this work with someone else, the Conscious Discipline book is right there waiting for you. You know, crack it open with a couple people who are willing and interested and, you know, kind of take that journey together. It's a fun, easy, low cost way to get started right away. And speaking of events, <laughs> this is a part that you can also just uh, take a look at how is it that we're going to bring some of these um, situations together. And I think back to Russell's question of sometimes it feels like we're going upstream and sometimes it feels like we're pushing against the tide and all of that. So one of the things that some of the events in Conscious Discipline uh, does bring to us is that village experience uh, when right, people come right. together. And man, Elevate was a village experience. and Like a family reunion. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was the largest event we've had um, up to now. And it just, it was a celebration of the work that individuals have done and how we have all contributed to that. It is not a you know, a small core of people that are trying to change the world. It really is uh, that belief system that when we pull together for the same goal in the same direction, we make a difference in this world. And that really truly um, is 
on board and moving forward. So, you know, anybody who feels like, oh, we're tanking out, mm-mm. we are moving in a direction that says we, we have enough information to know how to help our children learn the best way mm-hmm. to be regulated and to be problem solvers. And that's what our world needs to be able to figure out the big, big issues that we face today. Uh, the other uh, things that are coming up, um, there's a trauma workshop uh, that uh, was also a big success, and those will be coming up in the future as well. So just really key into the website, um, uh, you know, maybe even just once a month, look at the website and look at what's offered in terms of, of professional development, because it is always growing and there are always new things on board. So when we, again, think about how we're doing this as a village, it's what might be helpful to my staff right now, what might be helpful for me. And even for our families, we are definitely in the, in the zone of making sure that we are giving opportunities for families to come together and feel that village community for them as well. So, so many things that are on the horizon. And that brings us to the part of the day where we get to do some wish wills. And we definitely want to wish well our office. Our office staff is really growing. We have a lot of new people who have come on board who are helping us do all of these wonderful things that we are celebrating. So we are going to um, be sending them out a heartfelt wish well. So as you're doing this thing called life, Remember that if you have any questions or if there's anything you'd like to share with us, you can do that by sending us your questions to podcast at consciousdiscipline.com. So until next time, know that from our hearts to yours, we wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers featuring Latoria Marcellus and Amy Spidell, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast app.